is Ben Weingarten for Encounter Books, and today I'm joined by Jack Fowler, publisher of National Review, to discuss William F. Buckley's The Unmaking of a Mayor, the 50th anniversary edition of which Encounter has just published. Jack, thanks for joining us. It's a great pleasure to be with you, Ben, and to talk about this great book, which I must admit, it's actually the 49th anniversary <laughs> of the book. But it's, a, it's the 50th anniversary of Bill Buckley's mayoral run, so a little deception here, but uh, not on your part, but on my part and Encounter's part. <laughs> well, with that, with that disclosure first, uh, 1965 in New York, one thing that I was struck by when reading the book were the parallels that we see to Bill de Blasio's New York today in terms of oh. issues of race relations crime, education, and the like. Speak a little bit to those parallels. Yeah, well, I'm, um, I'm a creature of New York, of the Bronx. I uh, grew up in New York in the 60s uh, through, the, uh, uh, through the, uh, late 80s, moved away, came back to a sort of a new world uh, when Giuliani had restored the city. But back, it's um, shocking. You look at the just the crime statistics of that time period, the, the the number of murders, which I think in one year in the late seventies approached over two thousand people in a year murdered. It was it was hellacious. Um, a little after Bill's mayoral run, about ten years later, I was a I'm a miracle. I never got mugged, but I'm one of ten kids, and um, to a couple of my siblings. Very, very serious crimes. Uh, both parents uh, mugged, uh, apartment broken into, car stolen, you name it. It happened, and we lived in a nice neighborhood. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a rough time. Race relations were, um, I think, unfathomable to some people. I mean, uh, the, take a, a younger generation that may not even remember the... The uh, well, no, the, the Ferguson riots, uh, they're nothing compared to what was happening in some of America's six cities in the 60s. So, New York uh, was, was a pretty um, tough place to live, uh, expensive, dirty, uh, and truly dirty. <laughs> I mean, dirty, dirty. The streets, the streets, it's it's no Amsterdam still, but uh, it, it, it's light years different from what it had been. And that's the fear now of being being here now, knowing what it was like, and seeing a um, a mayor who uh, sort of wishes for those days as if they were good old days. Um, it's tough to look at New York City now. Um, and if I, you know, we we do have to talk about this book, but if I, you've given me the chance to expound here briefly. You know, Ben, in 1965, when Bill Buckley was running. For mayor, uh, there were certain things that fortified New York. You had to have certain industries here. For the finance industry, had to be in New York. The publishing industry had to be here. There was still some manufacturing base, even uh, shipping. So there were things that were inherent in New York then, and then you had some sort of geographical release valves. People could move to the suburbs. People could move to states. That were much more sane when it came to uh, treating businesses such as Connecticut or New Jersey. And uh, all those days are gone too. 
I mean, the industries that are in New York don't have to be here. And the uh, sanity, the fiscal sanity of the surrounding region is, has evaporated, too. So when you, uh, when you play fast and loose with the culture of New York now and crime and vagrancy and, uh, you know, those things that uh, the broken windows uh, that, that uh, Giuliani so wonderfully addressed. But uh, if you bring them back, I think it could have, it could have dire consequences for this area. So, uh, uh, yeah, on that, on that sunny start to the interview. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it is a beautiful day, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> One other issue that New York was dealing with, uh, germane to this book in the early and mid sixties was, uh, sort of leftist political sclerosis. So describe the scene that William F. Buckley would have, surveyed as he looked at the political landscape in 1965? Sure. I think we could consider it relatively leftist. Um, the Republican Party of New York, um, it, right now, it's, I, would, I would say relatively more conservative than it was at the time. But at the time, a spendthrift uh, governor, but a powerful governor nevertheless, Nelson Rockefeller, and a congressman from New York City, and this Manhattan was represented through the early 90s by, by liberal Republican congressman, but John V. Lindsay, who was the wonder boy uh, uh, for many of the party. He, was a, uh, he won uh, his seat handsomely. He won handsomely in tough years. The toughest year of all for Republicans had been the prior year, 1964, when Barry Goldwater, wonder boy of the right, got shellacked in the presidential uh, election. And, uh, but nevertheless, Lindsay here in the city won by a, a very comfortable is the wrong word, just landslide margins himself. So he was seen as um, the uh, possible mayor of New York, which was seen as a stepping stone to the presidency at the time. Um, and it wasn't too long ago, Giuliani was also seen as a stepping stone, but it's no question a difficult job. So you had a very liberal Republican candidate. You had a moderate Republican Party. The Democrat Party, yes, liberal, but I think much more machine. None of the people who were involved in the Democrat Party then, if they stood on the issues they were standing on, then would be allowed in the Democrat Party of today. Uh, Ed Koch, for example, was a was a a major party leader at the time. Uh, Robert Wagner was more, you know, from machine politics, Tammany Hall. Um, and nevertheless, it was very much about um, blocks, special interests, and the like. And um, that is why, um, uh, uh, I'm not sure if it was a year or two prior to the, this mayoral election, that conservatives, just fed up, fed up with what the Republican Party had become, created the conservative party. And they approached Bill Buckley uh, to run for mayor on the conservative banner uh, because they wanted to, I don't, there was no thought that the conservative party itself would, would become a co-equal party to the two major parties, Democrat and Republican. But it could have influence, uh, such as the uh, quote-unquote official liberal party, uh, which had quite a, quite a lot of political sway in New York at the time. Uh, but it wanted to be a counterbalance to that party and also an influence on the Republican Party to drag it rightward. So the Conservative Party came into existence, was mocked 
just like National Review was mocked when it was founded in 1955. Um, but it, um, it proved very quickly to be a, a very important factor in New York state politics and through this election in New York City politics. Now, obviously, it's not a perfect one-to-one parallel, but as you're reading Unmaking of a Mayor, one thing that I notice is the language that Buckley uses to describe what is, in effect, the Republican establishment and the disdain that he has for them and the belief that a conservative party, as you mentioned, will push it rightward. Do you see a parallel to today where you have an establishment that has infuriated the grassroots conservatives? You're right. It's not one-to-one, but there's no question. You have um, the same, um, the, let's call it just the effect. Um, uh, in this case, now, it's um, people who believe their leaders are, let's just call them liars. <laughs> you said you'd do this. We gave you the keys to the kingdom, and uh, you went and raided the icebox <laughs> and the top shelf at the bar. You didn't do anything about the issues that we cared about. So at the time, in the, in the early 60s, this was just real disdain with a party that was abjectly liberal and, quite frankly, detested conservatives. Uh, Nelson Rockefeller, uh, let's call him the, no, we'll call Lindsay the pinup boy for the, for the left, leftist Republicans. He refused to endorse Barry Goldwater in 1964. So that's symbolic and endemic of how the Republican Party uh, establishment and leadership, how they thought of conservatives. And that's the important point of this election for Buckley, which we can, I'm sure we'll get into uh, a little more, but um, this is where the true revival of the Republican Party started. Now, it's a little tough to say, given the fact that the year before, it was a conservative who was the party's presidential candidate, was Barry Goldwater. But many Republicans who, such you know, we'll call them the, the, the Rockefeller Republicans, uh, they saw uh, Goldwater's defeat, not so much as a defeat of Goldwater, but as a, as a defeat of conservatism, and, and one from which the conservative movement should not have arisen from the canvas. It should have been, been a 10-count, out, retired, and now these yahoos, go away, and we're going to carry on with our uh, essentially being a democrat light party. Well, Buckley's, Buckley's election changed that. Yeah, so given the scene that you described in New York, uh, both political, cultural, economic, what was it that possessed William F. Buckley to decide, seemingly on a whim, to throw his hat into the ring for mayor? Yeah, I, we make, a, a, it's, hard, it's, it's hard to get into the mind of, of Bill on this because you know truly this starts this here's the story. Uh, National Review runs a column. They always ran Bill Buckley's columns. One of the columns uh, in a in a late May issue had to do with a ten point plan for what a mayor of New York should be, uh, and it was a jibe at uh, Lindsay and Bill had just come off a uh, somewhat controversial event. Uh, giving a speech at a uh, what was then a fashionable 
thing or traditional thing, a communion breakfast. They had a communion breakfast. That's a Catholic thing, Ben. Sorry. <laughs> it's a communion breakfast for the New York police officers. And Bill gave a speech that, again, parallels to, to today. It immediately considered racist uh, and, and uh, you know, politically incorrect, etc. And uh, Bill stood, Bill did not wither in the face of this. And Bill must have sensed some appeal in his, not only his message, but in his manner of some responsiveness from police. And police as a, we'll call them a representative of a certain type of New Yorker, uh, you know, Catholic, white, ethnic, you know, conservative, throw in, you know, anti-communist, you know, the, the people that made up a certain number of the neighborhoods in the city, uh, parts of the Bronx, uh, lots of Queens, all of Staten Island, some neighborhoods in Brooklyn. So there were these true vestiges of um, uh, what eventually we could call Reagan Democrats, largely. Anyway, uh, Bill writes this column, and his dear sister, Priscilla, who was the managing editor, was looking at yeah, we have to put out a magazine. The magazine has a cover, and on the cover of the magazine was always this streamer. And she needed a little copy for the streamer. And she was quite an imp, and she thought, well, let's let's play off the, the column. Let's put Buckley for mayor, question mark, on the streamer. No one will think that we're really advocating this. This is just, you know, having having fun. And Bill says he, he, he approved it because he did not believe that anyone indeed would take that as a, a sort of a, um, in, in its sense, we'll call it a trial balloon. I sort of think he did think that. Anyway, from a column, uh, one month later, Bill's announcing <laughs> he's throwing his hat in the ring at, a, at an event with his famous a quip that if he won, asked if he would win, he'd say he would demand a recount. So, uh, but the, I think its its roots really come from some very trivial events, and uh, let's say overlaying all that is his real disdain for John Lindsay, his probably innate desire to think we need to do something to try to revive the conservative movement now. Uh, it was when he threw his hat in the ring. It was barely seven months after the Goldwater debacle. So uh, you know the the timing was was important. The opportunity was there. Uh, there aren't that many things that happen in odd year odd years. Um, New York City mayoral elections are one of them. So uh, he's. He's seen his opportunity, and he took it, as <laughs> many New Yorkers would probably say at the time. Uh, I don't think regretfully at the time, um, Bill, Bill saw this as a, um, he certainly didn't see it as, as a true uh, a campaign to really be mayor of New York. He saw this as a chance to resurrect the conservative cause and bloody the nose of liberal Republicans. And uh, that's what he did. One of the things that I was struck by in reading the book is that he starts a campaign where, uh, like you mentioned, 
his whether or not he actually believes or desires to be the mayor is in question right from the start, especially at least for the press. Um, he runs what I would call sort of an anti-campaign. It's more than unconventional. He explicitly isn't pandering to different voting blocks, and he actually disdains that sort of politics. So describe a little bit what makes his campaign so unique. Well, that, that first of all, that approach is unique. Uh, he detested that, and he, the, the, the approach to voting blocks by um, the major parties uh, he just saw that as as uh, a br- bribery in one sense, bribery to the the unions here, to the teachers there, to this neighborhood, etc. Um, and at some point, somebody's paying the bill, and uh, not at no one's really um, uh, collectively benefiting. And the proof of that, not collectively benefiting, was the ghastly state that the city was in: economic decline crime-ridden, filthy, um, a, a great exodus from the city. Uh, so uh, Bill took that head-on, uh, that kind of uh, approach uh, to, to, the, to the old uh, voting block. But he, look, Bill, Bill was still, <laughs> Bill was a magazine editor, columnist. Uh, he, had, he had a day job, so he didn't abandon his, his life totally. He said, I'm going to campaign in a way uh, that's going to allow me to keep doing what I do, but also make this make a point. But Bill uh, Neil Freeman, who has written the foreword to this book, talks about that, that Bill was fearless. I have to say, I know. I mean, I've, I've been in National Review now over thirty years, so and Bill's God rest his soul has gone a few, but I think I knew Bill pretty well as a person, and um, he was a fearless guy. I mean, he was a real man. The, the dude was not afraid of doing things that you would say, what are you, crazy? Were you going, driving, taking a, your sailboat out into a nor'easter? Uh, you know, stay, stay home tonight. Uh, but Bill would wade into crowds, uh, particularly what would be considered very hostile crowds, and engage in um, you know, toe-to-toe, um, intellectual, not jargony, but intellectual, discussions of real issues that may not have won the crowd over on the issues, but certainly cast this movement. Now, this is the, you know, we're talking about him running for mayor, but he's also, he's also reviving the movement. And, and he, is, he is putting a, an, a, a face of intelligence and charm and wit on conservatism. And he is making conservatism something that is appealable to people who, you know, want to join those ranks, and maybe not horrific to those who don't want to join its ranks, but don't want to think it's, you know, these guys are a bunch of, as Gore Vidal would call them, crypto-Nazis, you know, the easy go-to line. <laughs> uh, Bill would wade into crowds, uh, take on all comers, and he, what began as a campaign that he himself made into a a, a, I don't want to call it a joke. We'll call it a lark at the very outset. You know, at the very outset, what if I will demand a recount, which made his very small staff cringe. Uh, he gained the respect of, not, of, of the media, which was very important. Uh, in comparison to his other, the two other candidates running, John Lindsay and poor Abe Beam, 
uh, who did eventually become mayor, but uh, he, he, he was head and shoulders above them in, in every way, personality-wise. Uh, and he actually made this race uh, into a, a national race, a little bit aided and abetted by the fact that there was a newspaper strike. Uh, the election itself became more covered, it was, it was covered by television more so than, than the papers that weren't printing. And, you know, that was Bill's May year. Actually, this campaign and how Bill handled things and his charm and witness, his debate tactics and his goading, and that became the reason why Firing Line, the great program that he hosted for over a quarter of a century, began the next year. Bill thrived in this media environment. I mean, he thrived in the written environment also. But um, he... he um, he took what was um, a lark and made it into something extremely significant. And towards the end of the race, this happens in many elections where you have third-party candidates. You know, at the end, except with very rare exceptions, one of them being Bill's own brother when he was elected senator several years later. But most people go home to one of uh, either of the parties. But they liked it, it prior to the election you know, show their uh, real stance to pollsters. And Bill was polling over 30% in some polls, and uh, he never believed he was going to win. He believed that they were they were fleeting numbers. But th that kind of stuff, late October, sent a shockwave uh, through the uh, New York and the American political community. So uh, he um, he really... You know, this wouldn't have happened if it was Bill Jones or Bill Fowler. <laughs> None of this would have happened. You know, we have to think back about this. This, this man is a very, very unique individual. Uh, he's not only very intelligent, but he, Bill is a Swiss, he's one of those Swiss Army knives with 30 tools in him. I mean, he could, I don't know if he could dance or sing, but he did about everything beyond that, so... You, you spoke a moment ago to uh, Bill's fearlessness, and I think it will come as a surprise to some that identity politics were not created uh, in 2008 or 2012 with Barack Obama, but the identity politics in New York during this 1965 campaign were vicious. And I think one of the great takeaways from Buckley is that he makes an argument, and I'm paraphrasing, that these different political blocks, when we focus on them, we lose track of the individual. And what William F. Buckley looked at was New York citizens as individuals, each with their own separate goals, aspirations, desires, and the like. What, what do you take away as some of the political lessons from his well, campaign? Well, Joe Scarborough, of, as you know, morning host of Morning Joe, who's a great admirer of, uh, of Bill, he wrote the afterword for this book. And I... Um, he makes a very good case that this was the beginning. This campaign, I mentioned before the police, you know, when cops and then firemen, the garbage men, you know, the, the, these folks thought, hey, this Buckley guy, you know, I know I'm not, <laughs> I don't wear a blazer with a, with a, you know, a doohickey on the, on the breast, but I still like him. And, and because of what he said and what he thought, um, he sort of created what, again, what became the, the Reagan coalition, the Reagan Democrats. But that's an appeal to people on an intellectual level. 
Um, and whereas prior, you know, I'm going to talk to prior political strategy is I'm talking to you as an Irish American. I'm talking to you as a as a member of the teachers union. That is still uh, the approach of the Democrat Party, and it obviously still has great appeal. They do win elections, as you notice, who's living on Pennsylvania Avenue. But uh, yeah, Bill Bill um, created. Um, uh, a political setting that allowed uh, for belief in ideas as opposed to ethnic and trade union politics. Uh, so this is this is the importance of this uh, election again, not only for reviving conservatism and for making it um, appealing through his own um, style and wit and charm. But you, can't, you cannot underestimate that. Um, uh, but it changed. It changed the way Republicans um, approach politics. I mean, Ronald Reagan was elected uh, president in 1980. We argue. Joe Scarborough argues in his afterward. Now, there's a direct line from this election to that election, and that was a coalition based on ideas, uh, not based on your Catholic. You're Jewish, you're black, etc. So, uh, yeah, I yearn for those days. <laughs> we need a little more intellectual uh, adrenaline running through our veins here. But uh, that's uh, that's why this book, I think, now is important. Important to bring out. Of course, it's his anniversary, so it's a good point. Fifty years to you know, as a marker to look back. But there are lessons to be learn from that uh, today. Uh, this book, w w by the way, it's one of the best political memoirs ever. Uh, uh, Bill wrote it very soon after the race, and it's, it's very detailed. Uh, if it had, again, if it had been John Jones who ran a terrible campaign for Knoxville, Tennessee mayor, no one would, no one would buy the book, and it would have zero influence. But this book matters, and uh, I think people today uh, if you were a, a fledgling politician, or even even maybe somebody that's been in Congress twenty years, should be well uh, uh, be in your interest to open the open the covers and read it and see that ideas do matter and that confrontation. You know, it's tough. Nobody wants to. Not I can't say nobody. But, Getting into an argument and having to state your case and hold your ground, and uh, and even now today doing it in a in a world where within a minute there's you know you'll see six thousand Twitter attacks against you uh, hashtag Fowler's a jerk you know so <laughs> this is a different a different dynamic I have to admit but uh, intellectual forthrightness. And clarity of um, ex, you know propaganda, which is a good word. Uh, this is something lacking and and missing, uh, even among you know. Let's take the so-called conservative, because if, if you had to ask any American, and I'm one, and one who's involved in politics, I am. Uh, tell me what the political conservatives are about today. It'd be hard pressed to give an answer. So. Uh, we need to look back to what Bill did, his accomplishments, they're real, uh, but his message is also very real and should be inspiring again. So I think it's worth noting that 
we can talk about drawing a straight line to Reagan Democrats from this campaign, but also, as you sort of alluded to earlier, Jim Buckley, Bill's brother, ran for U.S. Senate as a member of the conservative party and actually won not long after the 1965 campaign, running on some of the very same ideas um, and, and, and as, a, as a senator believing in some of the same ideas that, that Bill did in terms of subsidiarity and uh, devolution of power from the federal government back to the states. So I think it's just a, just a point worth noting. Last question uh, b- before I let you go. Um, you obviously had uh, decades worth of time spent with Bill Buckley. Did you ever talk to him about this book or the election more broadly, and what did he say about it? Ben, I wish I had a I had a sterling answer for you there, but uh, but I didn't. Um, you know, the, my time with Bill, uh, much of it was about National Review matters, um, occasional. Uh, politics and towards the end of his life, when I became the publisher, I would attend uh, uh, dinners at his uh, apartment uh, in, in Manhattan, and I'd sit there thinking, "What? What am I doing here with Henry Kissinger? Something's wrong with this picture." Uh, but uh, no, no, uh, not really. In fact, the this this sometimes like the stop clock which is right twice a day I, I can make a good decision and it just dawned on me I've always been a big fan of this book and I just happened to about two years or so um, saw a copy of it in my bookcase and thought wow that that's that was almost 50 years ago we wow we should try and and bring this out again and and market. Um, I discussed it, uh, not market it, mark, mark the occasion. Well, also market it. We hope people will buy the book. But uh, I, I think uh, given the political setting and given the importance of, of Bill's uh, uh, campaign and candidacy, that it was well worth bringing out again. I discussed it with uh, Roger Kimball, who's the publisher in Encounter Books, and Roger himself is a, is a true Buckley uh, expert and fan. And Roger agreed uh, immediately. And uh, and uh, again with Joe Scarborough, Neil Freeman. Neil was Bill's uh, aide de camp on the campaign. Uh, they both agreed this this campaign was uh, historic, and and it needs to a new generation of people need to know about it and and uh, how important it it was and how important it should still be. We've been discussing William F. Buckley's The Unmaking of a Mayor, which was just re-released on the 50th anniversary of Buckley's 1965 campaign for New York mayor with Jack Fowler, National Review's publisher. Jack, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, Ben, it was a real honor. I appreciate your, uh, your doing this. Thanks a lot. Intro and outro courtesy of Kurt Viles Freeway.